I decided that I was going to stand before you today. Now, you notice Belinda even brought my chair out. Thank you, Belinda. However, I had a good brother that told me a few weeks ago that when I stand up and speak to y'all, that he feels like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so that means that all of these times that I've sat down... Oh, well... <laughs> But uh, we will trust the Lord that most of the time I know what I'm talking about standing our city. But I thank you always for the privilege of being here before you and having the opportunity, the challenge, yes, but the opportunity to share God's word with you. Uh, today, I will tell you on a personal note, that at 3.30 this morning, my family increased by one more. <laughs> we just got them all over the place. <laughs> but uh, one of my granddaughters by marriage gave birth to a beautiful child this morning. And Mickey's going that direction. And I think she'll be here for uh, the 11 o'clock service. But that's all part of family. There was supposed to have been a young lady to, from the Pregnancy Crisis Center to be here to speak to you this morning, but unfortunately she has a family uh, difficulty and was not able to come. But we will reschedule her because we support them, pray for them, believe in what they do. And I just had to say that in conjunction with number six great-grandchild for Mickey and me. Isn't that a crowd? Now, some of you are shaking your head like, wow. <laughs> that goes along with 11 kids and uh, three sons-in-laws. I lose track. I'm sorry. So, But we are blessed. And we're blessed today because we get to take an adventure through God's Word. I'm going to take you back into the Old Testament today. Uh, and this, I'm telling you, this passage of Scripture that I will share with you today is just such a powerful statement in God's Word. And in about 1987, sitting in the living room of Partners Lodge down at the beachfront where we worked for 12 years, a young lady that had come to us when she was pregnant and had become a part of our group, our family. Uh, she introduced us and introduced me, the director and pastor of that group, to the book of Haggai. Now, I hope you know where it is. I hope you have studied it. I hope you know the story that is represented in this huge book of Haggai. It's all huge of two pages in my Bible. Two chapters. And it's in the Old Testament over close to the back of the Old Testament. Right around Zechariah and Zephaniah and some of those books. Uh, but uh, this young lady sitting in our living room in a Bible study said she just had come across it. She had become a Christian with us. She had begun to grow. She had given birth to her child. 
We were all a part of this wonderful experience, and particularly, and I will tell you now that that young lady here 40 years later is the wife of a pastor in North Carolina. They have a bunch of children, and they're going right on with ministry. Isn't that a great story ending? And she started out in the midst of turmoil and trouble. But she said, please look at Haggai. And I began to look at Haggai and I began to think about Haggai and what he says to me and what he says to people. And if you've never studied it, well, we're going to study it this morning. I am just going to do a Bible study with you. By design, on purpose, because that's what the Lord's leading us in. So, and... I've asked that we not have a screen behind us, so please get your Bible or get a Bible out of the pew rack or get your phone and find the, that big two-chapter book called Haggai. And we're going to look at what happens with this prophet and some fellows by the name of Zerubbabel and Joshua and we're going to see what God says to them. Now, let me give you some background. You've heard of the Babylonian captivity. You've heard of a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Sometimes I call him Nebi, just for, for short. But Nebuchadnezzar was a conquering king from Babylon. And he had spent some time harassing and dealing with Jerusalem, God's city. And Nebuchadnezzar had been there and gone and come back. And he had dealt with them for several years. And then in about 588-87 B.C., folks, we're going back 2,500 years for this story. Well, in about 588, 587 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar and all of his armies came to Jerusalem and completely destroyed the town, completely destroyed the temple, completely destroyed the walls. You remember about Nehemiah? He went and rebuilt the wall in about 444 B.C. But Nebuchadnezzar not only destroyed the town of Jerusalem, and the houses, and the temple, and the walls. But Nebuchadnezzar also took many, 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 particularly some of the upper people of the city of Jerusalem, uh, leaders, priests, wise people, and took them into captivity. Now, he left some of the poor people back in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area, but the main population of Jerusalem and that region, Judah, Nebuchadnezzar had taken them into captivity in Babylon. And that's where you run into Daniel and those three fellows, Meshach and Abednego, Meshach, ah, Shadrach, thank you. <laughs> had a brain freeze there for a minute. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we know that Daniel and those fellows were powerful people in Babylon but they were still in captivity. They were in a foreign country. 
their hometown of Jerusalem had been completely uh, destroyed. And so now they're there for 60, 70 years. And then Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians are defeated by the Persians. And a king by the name of Cyrus came on the scene. And Cyrus had a, the, the Lord used him basically and he had a conviction in his heart from Almighty God that these Jewish people needed to go back to their hometown. And so in about 537, Cyrus said, you Jews are freed from Babylon, you go back to Jerusalem. So now we have this whole group of Jewish leaders coming back, and they're called the remnant. And that's a really important phrase in our study this morning. The remnant of the Jewish people come back to Jerusalem. Now they come back and they come back to ruins. The city is in ruins. The houses are down. The walls are down. And most of all, the temple is down. And so they come back in 537 B.C. And one of the first things that they do, which I appreciate this, is they lay a foundation for just the foundation and an altar for the temple. Now, remember how valuable the temple and the tabernacle before the temple were to the Jewish people. That was their identity as Jewish folks. That was God's house. And it was valuable, top of the list as far as their priorities were concerned. So they come back in 537 and they start laying this foundation. But they stop right there. They do not rebuild the temple. They do not go ahead with construction. They put up their altar and lay some foundation, but then they stop. Now, why do they stop? Well, this passage in Haggai is going to give us a little hint of that. But they left, I will say this very firmly, they left their first love. And, I, you know, we have to not throw rocks at them because they've been in captivity for, for many years. And they come back, and so they're back at home. They're in their hometown. They're wanting to build their houses and have their life and have their family. But they also left their first love, and they did not rebuild the temple. And so as these Jewish people, the remnant, come back to Jerusalem, this is where we find the start of our story here in Haggai. So I'm going to... Now, I started to just tell you the story. I love to tell stories. But I, in prayer and in looking at that, I thought, I don't want to miss a single point. <laughs> and so I want to just read through the first, most of the book of Haggai. So please stick with me because I'm going to read and just make some comments and some observations and as we do this, please listen carefully to this. There are specific implications, specific messages, specific lessons in this powerful book for the, for the Church of Kings Grant Baptist Church, for you and me here as we gather as a church. Now, also, I'm going to tell you that in this, in this passage that I'm going to read, there are basically three sections. The first section is a section where God really deals with them in a disciplinary way. They have 
lost their first love. They have stepped away. And he deals with them with love and discipline and firmness. As he does with all of us. And the second section is where through the prophet Haggai and Zerubbabel and Joshua. The people begin to realize and they become obedient and they get back to work and they begin to build the temple. That's in the second section. And so that is mostly an exciting part of this whole story. But we see them even as they get into the middle of it in the first few weeks of rebuilding the temple, they wander. They lose some of their zeal for doing and obeying what God has said. So that's in the second section. The third section, and I love this because this is mainly why I am sharing this with you today in light of what we have experienced the last couple of weeks here at our church. The third section is a statement of celebration. It's a statement of blessings, a statement of rewards, if you would, of God's response to their obedience and to their hard work. And so we move through some discipline stuff, some hard work, and then the wonderful blessings of Almighty God because of their hard work. And it fits me, it fits you, it fits us. So let's look. Right there at the first of the first chapter. It says, The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. He's speaking the word of the Lord. It came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. So Zerubbabel and Joshua are the two recipients here at the first from the word of the Lord from Haggai. And, um, excuse me, Zerubbabel is a government official, and Joshua is the high priest. And so he, they are, are receiving this word. And in verse 2 it says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. The people say, Now, this is what God says that the people say. And the people say, The time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Now, who's the, what is the Lord's house? It's that temple that lies in ruins. And the Lord is saying, these people are saying, it's not time. Now remember, it's been like 17 or 18 years. It seems like it would be time. So it's not just been a few weeks or a few days or anything like that. So it says that the people are saying, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. But then verse 3 says, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. And if you look at this, you will realize that there's some sarcasm here. There is some tongue-in-cheek because Haggai is now saying, is it a time for you, you yourselves to be living in your panel houses while this house remains in ruins? Now, this statement right here introduces us to the whole concept of what the people were focused on Versus what God was focused on. Now, do you and I suffer from that? Uh-huh. We call it personal preferences. We've talked about that. These people had 
uh, an affliction of personal preferences. And right here we're going to see this introduced because Haggai is saying, is it really, is it really, are you sure? Because the people have just said, it's not time for God's house to be built. But then he's saying, is it really a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I get a sense. Now, remember, these people were the upper crust of Jerusalem. So I get a sense that that they were living in pretty nice places. And they were rebuilding these. They've been there for 17, 18 years. And they wanted to rebuild their house. And they built and they worked and they worked and they built and they worked and they built. And so all these paneled houses were reappearing in Jerusalem. But what was the house that was still in ruins? God's house. God's place. Now... We believe very much that we encounter God in this place. And I'm so thankful for this house. But we more than that encounter God in our hearts and in our spirits and in our lives and in our families and our homes. But these people really, without God's house, without the temple, they didn't know about God's presence in their lives. They depended on that. And now there's every chance that for almost 20 years, 17, 18 years, these people have been back in Jerusalem without the sense of God in their presence. And so now we see that they were concentrating on building their own paneled houses. And then verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Now... Please think about this and please make these applicable to you and me and us giving careful thought to our way. God says, you've planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Now, what does all that say? You've been working really hard, but it hadn't accomplished a thing. No eat, no drink, no fulfillment, and you put your wages in your purse and it falls all over the ground. Now, that's what God is saying to these people. And so for now, these 17, 18 years that they've been back in Jerusalem, they've been working really, really hard. Does that sound like us? Sometimes we work really hard, but we don't really know the plan. We don't see God's purposes in it. But we just say, oh, I've got to work hard. But they were working hard on the wrong direction. And that's a real fact here in our story. And then verse 7, this is what the Lord says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountain and get timber and bring it down and build my house so that I can take pleasure in it and be honored. Now we got the purpose. We got God's purpose. I love to think about for myself and for you and in my counseling and all, I love to think about what does God say? Not what I say, not what you say. We all have crazy motives sometimes, folks. 
And so what does God say? And right here, this is what God says. Go up into the mountains and get timber and bring it down and build the house so that I, God Almighty, may take pleasure, pleasure in it and be honored. That's what God says to these people 2,500 years ago. And that's what God says to you and me today. So he goes on to say, You expected much, but see, I turned, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew it away. God is dealing with them. This is disciplinary. What you brought home, I blew it away. And then he says, God says, why? The Haggai is speaking all these words of the Lord. Why? Because of my house which remains in the ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, heaven has held back its blessings, is what God is saying through the prophet Haggai to these people. Now that's tragic, because these people have been in captivity for all these years. They come back to their hometown. But they don't do what God's asked them to, and so then God has got to teach them just like he has to teach you and me. We all make mistakes. They were making serious mistakes. A mistake of lack of priorities. And now he's saying, I have withheld my care, my blessings. But please remember, God is still here. God didn't go away. God didn't abandon them. God didn't say, I'm going to dismiss you. God is dealing with them just like he deals with you and me. That's what's happened in this first section of the book of Haggai. But we go on. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua and the whole remnant of the people. Now remember that is the whole group. These people that have returned. These people that are godly. The whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Now we use that term a lot. We're supposed to be in fear of Almighty God. Well, that is a statement of reverence. That is a statement of submission. That is a statement of believing that he's God and I'm not. He's God and you're not. And so this is what these people were now saying. I've been making my own decisions. I've been running my own life. And now because of Haggai coming onto the scene and speaking the true word of God and disciplining me and making me to see how I need to obey, then I fear the Lord and I'm going to obey. And then verse 13, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, that is, if, if you want a title to my sermon today, that is the title. God says to you and me, God said to these people 2,500 years ago, I am with you. Now, the key there is the fact that these people have got to recover They've been in captivity, and now they've been almost 20 years in their hometown, 
and they have not done what God asked them to do. And now it's a time for obedience, recovery, and hard work. And so what does God say? I'm not going to help you. Nope, I'm going to go over here. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I am with you, says the Lord, just like he will say to you and me. Remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is consistent. He knows what we need. He knows what you need. And he is saying, I am with you. And that's a beautiful statement. So, out of this, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and began to work on the house of the Lord. So now the foundation has been expanded and they're starting to work. And they're excited. Their spirit is stirred up. They're thrilled about God's presence. They're looking forward to building the the temple. And does that last? No. (laughs) It goes, it lasts for four weeks. If you want to do the math, look at, you know, when they started. And this next phrase in chapter 2 tells you when, okay, Haggai's got to come back in and and encourage them some more. The Lord's got to come back in and challenge them some more. Because, and it's kind of a backward way of saying it, but in chapter 2, it says, the, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel and to Joshua and to the whole remnant of the people, ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like it is nothing Now that is sort of, again, this kind of sarcastic, tongue-in-cheek sort of way. God is speaking to him. Haggai is speaking the word of the Lord. And he's saying, look, you're now looking at this whole thing and saying, ugh. Now remember, these people had grown up for all of their life with what temple? Solomon's temple. The first temple. We're now dealing here with they're about to start working on the second temple. But Solomon's temple has been completely destroyed. Now think for a moment, I'm not going to go back and describe, but think for a moment about what you believe and know and have read in Scripture and heard taught about Solomon's temple. It was magnificent. It was amazing. It was beautiful. It was gold-plated. And now they're building a temple temple out of ruins and who knows what it was but now the people are discouraged that's the message here you're looking at this temple now and you're thinking about what you used to have oh there's a lesson here folks don't miss it please you're thinking about what you used to have and you're thinking oh my gosh this looks like nothing I wish we could go back to the good old days I wish we could go back and see what we had with Solomon's temple. But that's not where God is. And God is saying, look, this is a part of what you've got to have now. And so does it not seem to you like nothing? But what does God do? Does he say, okay, you can just be discouraged. You can, you can just be sad about all of this. No. He goes on to say, but now, that's like now, presently, Be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. 
Be strong, all you people of the land, and work. There's those two words. Don't be discouraged. Don't be thinking about what it used to be in Solomon's temple. Don't be living in the past, but be strong, be encouraged, and work. They had work to do. We have work to do. We have godly work to do. And what has he already said now? And he's saying it again right here. For I am with you. Now he said this twice. Just to make sure that they get it. Right? No, he said it twice to make sure that I get it. And you get it. That we get it. God is saying be strong, be encouraged. Be involved in now and work and work for I am with you. Amen. We don't do this by ourselves. Then they work. And it goes on with verse 6 there in chapter 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. This is a great passage. This is the third element of this section of Scripture. It is the, the celebration. It is the blessings. It is the, the rewards, the results of people listening to the Lord and being encouraged and being strengthened and working and living in a spirit of obedience. This right here, this last section that I will share with you, is a statement, it is a result of when God's people obey, this is the kind of spirit that they get from Almighty God. It says in verse 6, chapter 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says, in a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. God is going to shake this whole region. Well, I want to think about this right here in Kings Grant Baptist Church, in Kings Grant Community. Part of what we're saying is that we want God to lead us and we want Him to shake this community for His benefit, for His glory, for the church at Kings Grant Baptist Church or even the other churches. But we want people to be shaken through the Spirit of the Lord in a positive, loving kind of way. He says, I will shake all the nations and the desired of all nations will come. All that is meaning is that the people that I love, the people that I desire to reach, that they will come. They will come to what? They will come to God and they will come to His temple that is now being rebuilt. Well, please apply that to here. Please understand that this is a message not... I love it. It's a powerful statement for you and I as we obey the Lord. He says, I will shake all the nations and the desire of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. What is glory? What about this house? What about that house? The glory is the people. <laughs> the glory is the people that will come to the temple in Jerusalem 2,500 years ago. 
The glory that God will fill this house with and that house with is the people. The glory that will fill this house will be the families that come and the young adults that come and the middle families that come, the ones with teenagers. And then all of us folks that have white hair will be here and more will come. And we will all bind together in a unified family obeying and seeking the Lord and He will bring all of us together if if we let Him. That's what He wants to do in unified, godly church family. For those people 2,500 years ago or for these people sitting in this room and in our church right now. He says, I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. Why is that stuck right in the middle here? Because it takes money to build that temple. They got to they gotta buy materials. They got to get materials. Well, God is saying, this is God's word through the prophet Haggai. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. The money is available. Well, what we're going to do here, it's going to take money. Now, I'm not going to preach another sermon on money. I did that two or three weeks ago. But that's what's here. And I believe that that is a message, a continuing, a part of the message for you and me. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory, now please get this. The glory of this present house. Now remember he's talking about the comparison between Solomon's temple and this temple that they're looking at now saying, it's not the same. It's, but he is saying the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. Now he's not saying that the former house was not good. King's Grant has been an amazing church. Jerry Holcomb is my brother. I love him. Uh, yeah, I knew him for years. And he has done a magnificent job. And y'all have done a magnificent job. And they had done a magnificent job here in Solomon's temple. But God is now saying that the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. This is God's word. And in this place, what does God say? I will grant peace. That's what he says now. That's what he says to you and me. Now, how do we do this? We obey. We seek him. We let Him be God and not us. We let Him run the show, not us. We see what His will is and what His purposes are. And we move in love here and out there. And then I am convinced. And I didn't know in 1987 or whenever that young lady said, we got to look at the book of Haggai. I didn't know that it was going to be here in... 2024 that I was going to stand before you and declare that I am absolutely convinced that this message is for Kings Grant Baptist Church. Amen. And it is not just Pastor Don's message. It is God's message.
Amen and amen. And to conclude, as we move toward this beautiful table, of, toward this celebration of, of gift, remember, God said to these people 2,500 years ago, I am with you. And God says to you and me, please remember, he said, go and make disciples, and baptize and teach, and I am with you always, even till the end of the age. Same story, same statement, same message. He's saying 2,500 years ago, get on with it. Work. Trust me. I'm in charge. I'm with you. He's saying to us, same thing. So as we come to this table today, please understand this is a representation, a beautiful, powerful, worshipful statement of the fact that Jesus Christ is with us today and will be with us as we obey, seek him, and follow his plan. So I want you to just be silent for another moment and prepare to accept these symbols of Jesus Christ.